0: of the word of God and turn with me to the book of 1st Samuel, the book of 1st Samuel and chapter number 17, the book of 1st Samuel and chapter number 17. As we're continuing with the life and ministry of David, we see that 1st Samuel is a comparison of two people. It is a comparison between the man after the people's own heart, King Saul, and the man after God's own heart which the future King David. And we see that David here is about 16, 17 years old, but yet he already has a walk with the Lord. At 16, 17 years old, he's already developed a walk with the Lord and a faith and a trust with the Lord. And now as David has been sent by his father to go to the battlefield, that you have the Philistine army on one side and you had the Israelite, Israeli army on the other side in the middle of the valley of Elah. And you have this giant Goliath come down for 40 days and make a challenge and curse the God of Israel. And David was sent by his father to go deliver supplies to see how his brothers fared. And as he went there, he heard the reply of the giant. And he saw the things that were going on and he was stirred. And out of being flabbergasted, wondering why someone didn't stand up for the Lord. Why didn't someone quiet this Philistine who was cursing their God? Of course, this got to the ears of King Saul, and he immediately wanted to investigate this young man. And if you don't mind, let's kind of pick it up now as David is preparing for a battle. Notice with me in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17, and notice with me in verse number 40. First Samuel 17 in verse number 40, the word of God says this, And he took his staff in his hand, and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David... He disdained him, for he was but a youth, and ruddy, and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog, that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air, and to the beast of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of the host, the God of all the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee, and will take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beast of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly shall know that the Lord Saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose. And came and drew nigh to meet David. That David hasted. And ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David took his hand in his bag. And took thence a stone and slay it. And smote the Philistine into his forehead. And the stone stuck. In his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and smote the Philistine, and slew him. But there was no sword in David's in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine, and took his sword, and drew it out of the sheaf thereof, and slew him, and cut off the head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, They fled and the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until they came into the valley and to the gates of Ekron and wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way under Shamarin, even unto Gath, unto Ekron and the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines and they spoiled their tents and David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son this stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said unto him, Whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17? The book of 1 Samuel chapter 17, and notice with me at the end of verse number 46. 1 Samuel 17 in verse number 46, notice the phrase, that all the earth may know that all the earth may know and with the Lord's help we'd like to preach that phrase here that all the earth may know if you don't mind let's go to the Lord together and let's pray dear heavenly father thank you again for you being a wonderful God and thank you so much that we could grab this very familiar story and I'm praying that we would preach it in such a way that it would be biblical But it would also open our eyes and that we could see even more than just the Sunday school lesson. That we could see beyond the David and beyond the Goliath, beyond the Valley of Elah, that there is a God that you want all the earth to know that you are God. And that you can have so much power and you could do so many things. I'm asking that tonight you would encourage the faith of a Christian soldier. You would encourage the faith for someone to stand up, stand up for Jesus. I'm asking that you would encourage someone to stand on the promises of God for the purpose that they could be used as an instrument that all the earth may know that there is a God in heaven. Lord, encourage your folks today. Again, I ask that you just help me to surrender myself to you Set myself aside, my ambitions, my goals, my desires. Set me aside. That you would get all the glory and honor from the messages tonight. And that you could just once again show to your people there is a God in heaven. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is such a familiar passage of scripture, and oftentimes we can get to a familiar passage of scripture and miss so much because we used to, we're used to the Sunday school version. And yet this is such a familiar passage that even the lost world still refers to this story. It is such a commonplace story. But this is not a story about David and Goliath. This is a story about Goliath and God. And a story where God is so much bigger that in this story, Goliath is the underdog. And God is the one who will prevail. If you don't mind, let's kind of walk through some things here, building up to this main story. The first thing I want to show you is the intimidating circumstances. The intimidating circumstances. We go all the way back to the beginning of this chapter in verse number 2. And we see that we have the two parties gathered together. You have in the valley of Elah on either side. The valley is the meeting place on one side of the mountain. You have all of the armies of the Philistines. On this side over here you have the armies of King Saul and the Israelites. (coughs) And the roar of the battle. the ready to go. And a champion of the Philistines decides he's going to step down. And he's going to make a challenge. Who is this giant? What does he look like? Notice with me in verse number three. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side. And Israel stood on the mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath. Whose height was six cubits and a span. Now we have to kind of convert um, measurements here. Because normally we don't use spans. And we don't use cubits today. So how big was Goliath? Well, converting it over, Goliath was nine foot tall and four inches. Bigger than most of you. Nine foot tall and four inches. He's big enough that he'd have to duck to get in the doorways. In fact, he's big enough that he would probably scrape the ceiling here. This is a big boy. This is a very big guy. Notice, if you're gonna have a big guy, you also have to have some big equipment. Notice if you don't mind as it goes on. Verse number five. And he had a helmet of brass on his head. So he has a metal helmet, and he was armed with a coat of mail. So this is chain mail that he has on him. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. Now, here again, we don't use shekels today. So what is this measurement? It's equivalent to 125 pounds. So, just his chainmail armor weighs more than most of you. 125 pounds. And that's what he wore to protect himself. And he's so big and so strong that that's just like a heavy coat to him. 125 pounds. Metal um, helmet. Notice as it goes on. And verse number six, and he had a greaves of brass on his legs. So this is kind of like plate that's kind of tied in uh, to his legs. So that way you can't slash at the front of his legs. <laughs> and upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders. So between his shoulders, he also has like a metal plate. So you can't stab him directly in the back of the spine. And the staff of a spear was like a weaver's beam. So what it's talking about is that the the actual staff... Is so big, it's like a, a building frame, uh, like a, a supporting pole. It's a huge thing. And the spear's head, so just the head of the spear, was 600 shekels of iron. How big was that? It was the spearhead was 16 pounds, and the shaft itself was 17 pounds, making the entire spear 33 pounds. Now that may not sound a lot, but if you try to hold thirty-three pounds for a while, you probably get tired. But yet, this is what he's using as a spear. This is what he's using as his staff to go fight. He's got huge armor. He's got protection. He's got a um, his armor weighs probably more than David. His spear in his hand is heavy, and this is the big champion who goes down. So he goes down and he comes up with a great idea. He says, there's no use to having all this bloodshed between our two armies. How about this? I will be the champion for the Philistines and you send me out your champion. Pick someone among yourselves and we'll fight together. And if your man defeats me, the Philistines will submit, will surrender. But if you lose You give up. You surrender. Let's settle this just one-on-one. No use having the whole army waste each other. Let's agree to this. And then he begins to curse the God of Israel. When no one would answer, he said, "Huh? I thought your God was powerful. I thought your God was the God of miracles. Where is the God who brought the plagues upon Egypt? Certainly not your God. Where is the God who opened up the Red Sea? Where is that God? You are nothing. Your God is nothing. And he began to curse Israel after his own gods. Began to yell at him, Curse them. Your God is nothing. And he did this for 40 days. 40 days he would march down from his side. Go into the valley of Elah. Look at the armies of Israel and say, give me a man. (laughs) I thought your God was real. Where? Give me a man. Forty days of this. And everyone's scared to death. No one wants to face this giant. No one wants to face the champion. Which now brings us to a second thing here. David's question, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? So David is sent by his father Jesse to come and check up on the uh, army. And he begins to ask, how come none of you have gone out to go fight the guy? Why is not someone go facing him? How come someone's not shutting him up? I mean, he's talking about our God. No one wants to stand up for God. Come on, what about you? Why don't you go? No, no, no. What about you? No. Finally, he gets so much news around that his older brother comes and Start saying, what are you doing? I know the naughtiness of your heart. The only reason why you came out here is because you wanted to spy the battle. I know you. Basically, big brother's embarrassed that little brother's provoking everyone. How come you're not fighting? How come you're not fighting? I could see someone go and say, Eliab, your brother's out there. And he's aggravating people. Go shut him up. So big brother comes and, shut up. What are you doing? Go to your room. Leave me alone. Like big brothers sometimes do and David turns around and asks the question is there not a cause is there not a cause i mean he said our god is nobody how come someone's not doing something isn't that good enough reason i mean this is no longer a physical battle this is now a spiritual battle and on a spiritual battle we got those we're on the winning side god plus 1 is always a majority This guy can't stand up to God. How come someone's not going out there? Well, he makes enough noise now that people report him to Saul, the King Saul. And King Saul pulls him up and says, all right, (laughs) you're the one who said you're going to challenge Goliath. David said, that's me. I'll do it. And Saul laughs at him. Well, you're a puny little kid. What can you do? This guy has been a... uh, a warrior from his youth and look at you're much too good-looking to be out in the battlefield you're much too cute you can't do that and David said you want Let me tell you something he says I was keeping the sheep and a bear came out and a bear snatched one of those lambs and most people probably would have said nope <laughs> bye little lamb see you later But David ran after him, tracked down the bear, took the lamb back. And when that bear stood up on its hind ends, David took him by the beard and stabbed him and killed him. Then a lion came and did that. A lion snatched a lamb. And instead of just letting it go, David went after him, got the lamb back. And when the lion roared, he grabbed him by the beard and stabbed him. Then he told King Saul, God did it, not me. God did it. And if God could take, save me from the mouth of a bear and from the mouth of a lion, what is this little pipsqueak going to do? He's nothing compared to God. He says, can't someone see how small that giant is? And how big our God really is? Is there not a cause? Can't someone see? He is Nothing. Nothing. You know, that's probably most of our problem is our problems look so big, but we fail to see the God behind the circumstances that God is bigger than anything we'll ever face. We often allow circumstances. We often allow giants to overwhelm us when we forget that there's a God who's much bigger than anything we'll ever face. Is there not a cause? Isn't there a God who's bigger than any person that can bother us? Isn't there a God bigger than any financial situation that may befall us? Isn't there a God who's bigger than any health concern that we may face? Is there not a cause? Is there not a God? Isn't there a God who is in heaven? Which now brings us to our text. We come now to the death of the champion. The death of the champion. And verse number 40 after this. Conversation with Saul. David now's ready to go fight Goliath. He's got permission from the king. And so he goes out, verse number 40, and he took a staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a script. And his sling was in his hand and he drew nigh to the Philistine. Now someone says, is there a magical significance of why he has five? Maybe it's because David knew that he had five brothers. No, it was probably because he knew he was going to face a giant. He wanted to make sure he didn't run out of ammunition. He probably wasn't thinking about the other brothers. He was worried about the big giant that was waiting for him. But he grabs the big five, or five stones, picks them out, says, this one's going to go. Have you ever gone skipping rocks? You can't skip any rock. You've got to find a good rock, a rock that's ready to go. So he finds five rocks, puts them in his bag. Then he grabs his staff. After all, he's a shepherd. <laughs> and he goes out, has his sling. And verse 41, and the Philistine came and drew near David. And the man that bare the shield went with him. Now David's such a big giant. That back in those days. When someone would go fight in the army. They would have an armor bearer. A shield bearer. And his job was to stand before Goliath with a shield. What, Goliath's got a sword and a spear. His hands are full. The guy's with the shield trying to block things off. And so Goliath comes down. The guy with the armor comes down. And he says. Alright. Who's your champion? And David comes out. Now Goliath. Nine foot, four inches tall. His armor's 125 pounds. And here's David, who's probably 125 pounds. Maybe a little bit more than that, but equivalency. He comes out. No armor. Doesn't have a sword. He has a stick. Especially next to Goliath, it's a stick. And a little slingshot. All right, Goliath, I'm ready for you. Goliath looks at him and says, This is a joke. What am I, a dog? And you're going to beat me with a stick? This is your champion? This is who you send out? And he looks down and says, Boy, you're asking for it. He says, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take your carcass and I'm going to feed it to the birds. And the beasts of the field are going to eat it up. He says, You're done and over with. So David in verse 45 says, you come to me with a sword, you come to me with a spear, you come to me <coughs> um, with a shield, but I come to you with something better. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. You understand how powerful the name of God truly is. That is the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. There's so much power in God's name. And notice the actual name of God that he uses here. The name of the Lord of hosts. The name of God used here, the Lord of hosts. It means that he is the captain of all the armies of heaven. He says, you're not fighting me. You're fighting the God of all the armies of heaven. That's the champion you're fighting. I'm just here to watch. That's who you're fighting with. And so it was a David and Goliath scenario, except that Goliath is not the giant. God is the giant. This is a battle between God and Goliath. Notice what David said in verse 46. He said, this day will the Lord deliver into my hand, and I will smite thee, and take thy head from thee, and give thy carcass to the host of the Philistines this day, to the fowls of the air, and to the wild beast. He says, uh, he never got to go to public school where he got to learn the insults and how to insult, so he just repeated what Goliath said. Goliath said, I'm going to feed your your carcass to the birds and let the uh, beast eat it. And says, nuh-uh, that's what I'm going to do to you. But he says this. That all the earth may know that there's a God in heaven. You understand this is a spiritual battle. This is not a battle between David and Goliath. This is a battle between God and Goliath. David is just there as the instrument. He's just there to watch. This is a spiritual battle. And David says, I'm going to watch this and you are the one that's going to die. You are the one who's in trouble, mister. It is you. You have to face him. You understand that if David was a great martial artist, everyone would have been cheering David. It wouldn't have been about God. If David was this big muscle-bound guy and came out to Goliath and was the same size, David would have just been called a great warrior. But David comes out, no sword, no shield, no armor. Why? So God gets all the credit. How in the world can this little skinny little boy beat this giant? The only answer is God. God. That all the earth may know that there's a God. You know God loves impossible situations. He loves situations so when he comes to the other side, people say, How in the world did that happen? You say, I don't know. That was God. God loves those situations so he can get all the credit from it. Some people look at themselves and say, how in the world can I be used of God? You want to know why? Because God wants to get all the credit. And with you, he knows you can't get the credit because you can't do it. You're too weak. You're too frail. You're too this. You're too that. But it is God who can use you. And God wants to do it in such a way that he gets the credit for it. That all the earth may know. Notice verse 47. And all this assembly shall know. Now, he goes back and says, all right, all the earth, when I kill you, all the earth will know that there's a God in heaven. And by the way, all those guys back there, they'll all know that there's a God in heaven too. Remember, they had a faith problem. Nobody would step out to go face Goliath. And they needed an attitude adjustment too. They needed to know that there was a big God that they could face. And he said that all this assembly shall know that there's the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. And he, God, will give you into our hands. Hey, when this is all said and done, God's getting all the credit. I'm just here to get a front row seat. You can't get a better seat than me. Let's watch this. Well, Goliath was not happy with his speech. He did not like the idea that he was the little guy in this fight. And so he charged Verse number 48, and it came to pass that the Philistine rose and he drew nigh to meet David. So here's this nine foot tall, four inches, 125 pounds of chain mail, a 33 pound spear. And he begins to charge, begins to run to David. Now it said that David hastened, he ran. And by the way, you would probably run too if a giant started charging. But David didn't run away, he ran towards him. Can you imagine that? Goliath starts running towards him. Full armor. Full charge. Running. And David looks at him and starts running towards him. He's running at him. Verse 48. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose. And came and drew nigh to meet David. That David hasted. And ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David took his hand in his bag. And thence a stone. And slung it. And smote the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sucked deep or sunk into his forehead, and he, Goliath, fell to his face in the earth. So David starts running, sees the giant, grabs a stone, and they have cool slings back there. I remember when I was a kid, we just had the slingshot when you moved back, and for all uh, many years, I thought that's how it did, that David went, Pink. but it's actually a type of sling where you swing it round and round and round, and it's uh, two straps of, uh, or it's one strap of leather with a kind of a, uh, a leather piece at the end where you'd put the rock, and when you swing it, you let go of one of those straps and it flings it. So he swings it and flings it, and when you so no, it just so happened, landed it straight in his forehead. You know, after that, Goliath was deeply impressed. That was the last thing that went through his mind. It hit him, and then he fell forward. Could you imagine the Philistines cheering? Yes, get that little guy, get the little guy. And all of a sudden the giant, oh, and falls forward. Stunned silence everywhere. What in the world just happened? It's kind of like watching a boxing match and it's over in one punch. You're kind of, what happened here? Everyone's stunned. What do you do? Notice what happened. Verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine. With a sling and a stone. And smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Why is this important? David just told him just a little bit ago. I'm going to take your head. Well he doesn't have a sword. So he jumps on the back of Goliath. Now that was probably a still big of a climb. I mean nine foot four inches. He's still probably a big boy laying down. David climbs on top of him. Grabs his sword and cuts off the head of the giant. Now the crowd is really shocked. Here's this little kid, comes out, mouths off to the champion, runs to the champion when the champion charges, grabs his little slingshot, just one shot, hits him, falls to the ground. What in the world just happened? David jumps on top of him, I could almost see a kid jumping on top of him. Yeah! Grabs the sword, swings it, I and mean, that's a heavy sword. We talk about it a little bit later. Cuts his head off. And the whole army of Philistines went, What just happened? Their whole world has been turned upside down. Their champion was dead. What had happened? Notice with me in verse 51 Therefore, David ran and stood upon the Philistine, and took his sword, and drew it out of the sheaf thereof, and slew him, and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Which now brings us to the following conclusion. The following conclusion. After they picked up their jaws, they saw David sl- uh, kill him. They These Philistines took off running. Why did they run? Were they afraid of the little pipsqueak David? They were afraid of his God. They were running from his God. We don't want to touch this guy. And just like David said, that all the earth will know. They were not afraid of David. They were afraid of his God. They took off running. Forget this. See you later. Finally, the Israelites get some backbone and they go chase him. You know, it's... (laughs) You can almost imagine the Philistines, big giant guys ready for war. And you got the little tiny Israelites, farmers with almost pitchforks, chasing after these big warriors. Yeah, we'll get them. Chasing after them. They chase them down to the next town. Following after them. Verse 52. And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until thou come to the valley and the gates of Ekron. And the wood of the Philistines fell down by the way of Shambarin, even unto Gath, unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned after chasing the Philistines, and they spoiled the tents. Now remember, this is an army that's been sitting here 40 days plus. If you're going to have an army sit outside for 40 days plus, you need supplies. You need food, water, treasure. And when the Philistines took off, they didn't take time to pack. They didn't have time to go. I need to go to my hotel room and go pick up some stuff. I, didn't need, I need to go to my tent and go grab my treasure chest. They left everything. Hey, after 40 days, most of them were probably thinking about fighting. Yeah, Goliath's going to go down there again. Nothing's going to happen. So they probably left everything back of the tent. And when they took off, they left everything behind. The Israelites said, woohoo, look at this. Gold, gold. Food, treasure, anything you want. They came back and took everything from the Philistines that they left behind. And David, verse 54, notice what David did. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. Now, this is very important because Jerusalem is not under Israeli control right now. It is controlled by the Canaanites uh, (coughs) called the Jebusites. And so many people have tried to wonder what exactly does David do? Does he go up to the Jebusites and put the head there and say, hey, I'm coming back for you later? That's probably outside the reach, kind of like he wasn't thinking about Goliath's brother when he took the five stones. What is more than likely is that David kept his head for a while, stuffed it like a trophy, kind of like someone would stuff a deer's head. Had Goliath's head for a while just to say, hey, guess what? Remember this guy? And then when he goes to take Jerusalem later, he could have given it to those guys and said, hey, I want you to know I'm the guy who did this. I'm coming for you. Or when he finally became king and made that his capital, he brought it there and put it as trophy and said, I just want everyone to know that we don't know exactly. All we know is that the Bible says eventually he brought it to Jerusalem. That's kind of interesting. He kept his head for a while. Just to remind people he's that guy. But notice something else he does. But he put his armor, Goliath's armor, in the tent. Remember, this thing weighs 125 pounds. Could you imagine David? He's got the sword of Goliath. He probably left it behind. Someone else picked it up and they put it in the temple later. He takes the head of Goliath, grabs that chain mail, 125 pounds. And he puts it back in his tent and said, I'm keeping that. So he got two trophies. It might as well. God did something amazing that day. Remind him that God's still bigger than everything. Looking at the head from Goliath. I don't know of how deranged he got talking to him. Hey, Goliath, what you doing? You know, whatever. That's probably a whole different thing altogether. But there's another guy who's flabbergasted. Another guy who's in shock and awe. I mean, the Israelites take off. David comes back with the head of Goliath and the armor. Saul and his general Abner. Abner is the general of Saul may come up in a trivia question one day. Abner's the, tri- the general of Saul. And Saul looks at Abner and says, who is that? Abner said, I don't know. Now remember that David has already been used by Saul. David was loved by Saul. David had, was playing songs for Saul to calm him down. David was Saul's armor bearer. So Saul knew who David was, but it was like, who is is this guy he's not looking for a lineage where did this guy come from i mean is he an angel i mean what is he where where did he come from abner go find out okay so abner goes and and uh finds out about it verse 57 and as david returned from the slaughter of the philistine again dragging the armor behind and the head of of goliath abner took him so abner put him aside man who are you? And brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his head. See, I told you he was dragging the head too. Comes up. Hey, King Saul, how you doing? And Saul says, who are you? And David says, I don't understand the question. I'm, I'm the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. That's not the answer that Saul is looking for. He's trying to say, are you superhuman? Are you a superhero? Are you an alien? You know, I don't know if they know about, but the, you know, he's like, who are you? You're not right. You're not natural. I mean, did you, a spider bite you? Did, you know, what is this? And David says, I don't know. I understand the question. I'm human. I'm, I'm my dad's over there. Uh, What are you asking for? Why is Saul so amazed? For the same reason that everyone else is. It was not David who won the fight. It was God that won the fight. The problem with Saul is that he'd already rejected God. And he wasn't looking for God as the answer. He wasn't looking for God to solve his problems. He wasn't looking for God to deliver him. And Saul was so away from God... That this was amazing, he still could not give credit to God. He was looking for some other reason. Once again, we see the heart of the two people. Even in this story here, you have the comparison between the two people. Here's David who says, my God could beat any giant. And you have Saul who says, that giant can't be beat. You see, there's a difference in faith. And the difference of faith is not how much faith you have. What makes the difference in faith? It is the object of your faith. If you could trust God, the Bible says that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. It is not how much faith you have. It is the object you are placing your faith in. That's what makes the difference. God is not looking for us to have great faith. He's looking for us to trust in him, the author and finisher of our faith. Why? That all the earth may know. That all the earth may know. You understand that that God who helped David defeat Goliath, still alive today. And he's our God. And you know what God still wants today? that all the earth may know there's a God in heaven. You know there's some Goliaths out there that need to be taken care of. Not people, Goliath. We're not telling you go fight people. Because we, the Bible says we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. We are in a spiritual fight. And there are some impossible tasks that, that seem impossible to us, but God says this needs to be done. And all God is looking forward to is someone saying, I don't know how it's going to be done, but I got a big God. And step up by faith and let God be God. You know, God can help us with everything. Whether it's door knocking. I'm scared to go talk to this person. I don't have boldness. You know what? God's there with you. Let him do the battle for you. Maybe you're fighting against someone who's... um, Away from the Lord. And you're so broken hearted. And you said I cannot trust that person to get right. And you are absolutely right. You can't trust someone to get right. But you could trust God to work in their life. To bring them back to himself. Is God bigger than that person? Is God bigger than that problem? The thing is is that we stare at the problem so much. It becomes so big. And so overwhelming. And our faith goes away. Because we're not looking at God We're looking at the circumstance. We need to look beyond the circumstance and see that there's a God that is bigger than anything we can face. Bigger than any challenge. And that the battle is not ours. The battle is the Lord. As long as we feel like we have to do the fighting, as long as we have to do the the struggling, it's not going to get done. I was speaking to someone earlier today. And they were pouring out their heart about a family member who had broken their heart and was no longer speaking to them and, and <coughs> so upset about it. <coughs> and I was explaining about Jochebed, Moses' mother. And I said the hardest thing she ever had to do in her life was take the baby, put him in the Nile River, and take her hands off and say, God, it has to be you and you alone. I can't do anything else about the situation. I trust you. That is the hardest thing she ever did. Because our problem is that we want our hands on it. We want to fix it. We want to be part of it. We want to just slap the person until they listen. We want to shake them. We, you know, whatever emotions you go through. But you can't change anybody. But God can. And when we finally get to the place where we start doing it, it's not us and we let them do it. God can do us some amazing things. When we get that situation that's bothering us and we're losing sleep over it and we're trying to figure out how to fix it, as long as it's in our hands, it is us that's trying to get it done. You see, you live your life one of two ways. You live your life by faith or you live your life by force. You either live your life trying to push, manipulate, intimidate, make it happen, or you say, God, I'm trusting you, and allow him to work. And the faith life is the best life. It's the one where the weight's not on your shoulders. It's on God's shoulders, and he could take care of it. But as long as we're stressing ourselves out, as long as we're at the place where we've got to make it work, I've got to make them listen. And we think about the situation and figure out what to say and that this will get them and this will make it. and this, It's not going to work. And we keep beating our head against the wall and nothing happening. And we get so frustrated and say, God, why aren't you working? He says, you're in the way. Get out of the way. And let me work. Why? So that all the earth may know. That all the earth may know. God doesn't want you to get the credit. He doesn't want you to say, I know this one thing I'll say to them and they'll automatically change. But then we'll get the credit for it. So why are they back in church? Because I told them they were no good scumbag sinner and they didn't get right. They don't change like that. How do they change? God doesn't work. And they say, I need Jesus. And they run back to him. If you could forgive a personal illustration. I'm working with an atheist. He says he's so liberal that he makes liberals uncomfortable. But we've developed sort of a friendship, an acquaintance. And the other day, he was at work. And there was a threat of a mass shooting. An employee who didn't get the job. Or he was on probation and... And he said that he was going to go shoot everybody up because they were going to let him go or something like that. You know what the atheist did? He texted me and said, please pray. You know why? Because he's looking for something. He's looking for an answer. He's looking. He realizes that he can't do it. The influence, just working with him for a little bit. Isn't it amazing what God can do? I mean, he would have never asked that before. But he said, there's someone I could ask Why did he ask me? God answers prayers. I want to... When somebody needs prayers answered, they're not going to go to just anyone. They want to go to someone who gets their prayers answered when it really matters. Why? Because it's not us. It's the God that we serve. That all the earth may know. The battle is not ours. The battle is the Lord's. In this story here, there was a giant... But it wasn't Goliath. Goliath was the underdog. God was the big God. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time